Dan Brown. I'm here today with another A Lens A Day conversation about information architecture. And today I get to talk to the extraordinary Jeremy Burton. Jeremy, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me, Dan. I've been looking forward to it all week and I'm just truly honored to, uh, um, to be part of this project. Uh, it is my honor to talk to you. Uh, so let's dive right in and talk process. Uh, I'm really uh, excited to get lots of different perspectives on how we do uh, this uh, work. Um, uh, I know you, uh, what do you call yourself, a content designer? Yeah, I'm currently working as a content designer. Okay. So a lot of UX writing, but the way I, I um, do this work very much includes information architecture, content strategy, thinking about that role broadly. Okay, so talk to me a little bit about like when you've got a new project or a new problem uh, in in front of you. What's the what's the first step that you take to try and get your arms around uh, the problem? How do you how do you kind of sort of look at uh, you know a, a problem that someone's put in front of you and say, okay, where do I begin uh, in terms of trying to understand this problem better? Oh gosh, so. There's there's just such a range of problems, you know, that they go from the teeny tiny to the mega and, you know, gnarly hairballs. And so one of my first steps is just to figure out what kind of problem I have on my hands. You know, is this, you know, so someone might, and it, and it might, uh, you know, be the same uh, trigger. Hey, we need to talk about this label, you know, on this button. And sometimes that problem is as easy as, ah, well, here's, here's what it should be, you know, 15 minutes or two minutes solved. And other times, you know, next thing you know, you're talking about the whole concept model, and you realize that this thing um, is just way bigger than 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 where you started. Um, so, so that's often my first step to try to get a handle on what is this thing I'm looking at, and how does it fit in. Um, so it's a, a question of scale, but I also feel like uh, someone might show up and ask about a certain thing, like the label on a button, um, which might sound like a writing, a UX writing problem. Um, but then uh, when you start to peel away the layers, uh, uh, sometimes what I find underneath, and you alluded to this, is that there's really a problem with the underlying concept model that the, mm -hmm. the distinctions that we are trying to make uh, or that the product is trying to make don't come through uh, or that there's a lack of understanding uh, of those underlying uh, distinctions. Uh, when, you, when, you, when you sense that there is a, a larger IA issue underneath, what are some of your favorite ways to bring others along on that journey? How do you draw other people into that process, which can sometimes be uh, maybe intangible or abstract, you know, not just about the label on the button. What are some of the activities that you can do to kind of make things a little bit more grounded for folks? Uh, there, there are two that immediately come to mind. But before I um, get into those, what I also want to say is that one of, I think, the hardest parts of the pre-process is also just conveying the identification of IA problems and, and getting other people to think about them as IA problems. Um, there, there's some that are more classic, you know, than others. And I, I think people will recognize work on a menu or navigation and sitemaps as this is information architecture, yet there are other, 
you know, we, we might be working on a, a modal and a flow, and it's very much an, in, an information architecture problem in there, uh, but people don't immediately recognize it as such. And, and you know, that influences, of course, then how you proceed in solving the problem. Um, but for specific techniques, one, just getting to visualize things. I know it seems like a, a duh answer, but mapping and creating, you know, a shared external visualization to make that abstract concrete and uh, create shared space where we can all come together and have a conversation around it. Um, that continues to be, you know, invaluable, as simple as it sounds. And another thing that I have been doing lately that has been really effective is an activity to imagine this moment between the user and the interface as a conversation. You know, I, I call it with um, my team the talk it out activity or the talk it out exercise. Like, what if we, what if this was a conversation? Who would start? What would that person say? You know, what would come next? And that has a way of um, revealing some of these, you know, uh, the, the peeling back that you were talking about, right? Where there is maybe too much information or too little, where there are gaps. Um, that um, is, is a technique I found to be pretty effective that then can launch into talking about how these really are information architecture problems. Uh, I love that we, um, uh, you know, over the last uh, couple dozen interviews that I've done, I hear a lot of physical metaphors for information architecture, like uh, information architecture is uh, designing virtual spaces, uh, buildings or grocery stores or banks or what have you. Um, but I love now leaning into the um, uh, structures as conversations uh, metaphor, because um, I think that just sheds an entirely new light on what it is that we're designing and what structure means uh, in that in that case that sort of give and take. Like any metaphor, though, a conversation can sort of break down um, or a conversation cannot necessarily uh, shed light on all aspects on the, the kinds of things that we do. I was using a conversation model and what, what made me think of this is I was using a conversation model to help a team um, think about all the different notifications that we might want to give, right? And so I was like, okay, well, let's pretend that this is a conversation uh, between the app and the, the customer in this case. Um, and then we can start to think about in different scenarios, what are the different messages that we need to push forward based on the actions that users are taking? So it's sort of this give and take conversation. Mm -hmm. But then we, it was, the risk was we leaned too far into that um, uh, conversation. And I'm wondering how you might, um, uh, I, I mean, I kept saying like, we're not designing a conversational interface. We're just using this as a framework uh, mm -hmm. for thinking about like getting our arms around the problem. Is that something that you've run into at all? And even when you're dealing with abstractions and making them more concrete, how do you help people sort of maintain an understanding that this is uh that the framework that you're using is not exactly the thing you're designing if that makes sense oh it makes total sense and have, have exactly encountered that because one of the things that happens when we do this activity is people immediately get worried about the words they're using and um and and the specifics of it and so what i say to set up the activity and then have to reinforce is that notion of the what before the how. This isn't about how it's going to be. This is the what. And um, 
the specificity, like it could be a million different hows. What's important is we establish that that more central what upstream of getting into the ultimate solution space. Um, that message I think works uh, pretty well, although it does take, you know, re reinforcement. Uh, and that to me is also one of the the fundamental IA thinking. Um, one of the, the hallmarks of IA thinking, what it means to think like an information architect, to, to, to put the what before the how. Right. Uh, I'm going to put you on the spot uh, a little bit because um, you've transitioned from uh, healthcare uh, to a product company, a digital product yeah. company. And I imagine you perceive a lot of differences between those two environments. But I'm wondering if you can also help us understand what some of the similar challenges that you might be facing without, um, you know, without uh, what, um, throwing any of your colleagues uh, under the bus here, but just sort of to, I think it's, I think you've made a really interesting transition and it's been an honor to sort of watch, watch your career make this move. Um, but there must be similar challenges in terms of, let's say, helping stakeholders, helping business owners or, um, you know, business stakeholders, um, helping subject matter experts uh, embrace this idea of content strategy or UX writing or information architecture. Can you talk about, uh, do you have any stories about uh, things that have happened in both of these environments? Yes, yes. Um, hmm. I spend uh, the next 20 minutes just trying to synthesize an answer to that one. So, so right, so I worked for a, a regional health insurance company and then I went and worked for IBM and now I work for, for Mural, you know, a digital workspace for visual collaboration. So from also from enterprise to startups, right? And, you know, old school to new school in terms of uh, different company flavors. And the, the, the first thing that, that jumps to mind is that all of these, companies, despite their differences of industry and domain, they all have significant conceptual model problems with their audiences. And with that, and going back to the question of process, there's also this, this mega problem that for me is one of the biggest process problems and I don't yet have all the answers to is how do we talk about and do information architecture in a way that aligns with uh, agile and lean methodologies, um, which uh, value and privilege, you know, a certain amount of modularity and, you know, the minimum valuable thing we need to learn, the minimum valuable experiment that, you know, we can conduct right now, the minimum thing we can build. And, you know, coming into uh, an information architecture problem, and again, there are lots of different types of information architecture problems, but the ones where you do feel like you're pulling on this thread and you're at risk of unraveling the whole thing. Um, and then how do, you, how, how, do you, how do you go back to your, your team and try to collectively get your arms around this. What I've found is that um, that has become more of an issue and more of a problem um, more recently in my career because of the, 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 the kind of the Uber, the extra emphasis on that modularity and that breaking things down at the startup I work at now and some of the the, the culture that was less so at the, uh, the healthcare uh, company I used to work at. Although arguably the healthcare company had an even more wicked, um, different, but you know, wicked concept model problem because of you know what it means for people to come to into. I worked on the insurance side in particular, and so for, for people to come into that insurance information space and make sense of it in a way 
um, where the system was clearly not made for them, set up for them. You know, just right. constantly be reminded of that in every interaction you have with it. Yes. Um, that was a particular flavor of it there. I, I too have experienced the American healthcare uh, industry. Um, um, I really like what you're saying, though. I mean, there's something about a more traditional business where it's like you go in and you're like, well, uh, let's talk about some of the problems that you're having, um, which are the most wicked problems. And at an insurance company, they're like, all of our problems are wicked problems, right? It's sort of like you, there's this baseline understanding that everything is complex, right? And in some ways that gives the IA a leg up because all we deal with is uh, the complexity uh, of of those structures. Go ahead. And they're also real quick, but they're also then um, different incentives or mechanisms toward change or not. Yes. Yes. You know, in those in those industries. Yeah. Good call. Um, so let's use this as an opportunity to transition to the lens that uh, you picked. Can you tell us what lens that was and or that is and uh, what what drew you to this one in particular? The lens I picked is meeting expectations nice. and. Uh, I was drawn to it immediately because, especially when it comes to content design, doing a lot of UX writing these days, there are days when, you know, the whole job feels like meeting expectations, uh, an exercise in meeting expectations. And I think we could say that of design in general or digital design in general, but it feels um, extra true of, of information architecture. And one of the things that drew me to it was also working on some problems of late or encountering problems of late of okay, we've got, you know, I was working on a, an upgrade flow um, and there's, you know, several calls to action along the way. And, you know, there's a difference of how do we get you into that flow and, and go along with you on that flow versus like the moment that it, you actually upgrade or not, right? And setting expectations for like, what is gonna happen uh, as, I, as, I, as I go along here? And so that was what initially drew me in. Although then I watched your interview with Anita Cheng and I realized that there's another lens um, called setting expectations. And so what I, what I now think about this meeting expectations one is, is maybe the setting expectations one is about. So that flow I was just talking about, there are things that we can do from the inside out to influence perception of what's about to happen and make sure that that is not causing friction frustration. And then the meeting expectations though is more outside in, is what, does our, what, what do our users bring to this moment? Um, and I, I'm curious if that's how you thought about these when you were, um, you know, because they're also in different categories, how to guide and how to engage yes. uh, when, you, when, when you set up these two lenses. Yeah, that is such a good question. And that presumes that I was paying attention enough to realize that I was talking about two sides of the same coin. Um, I do think that uh, to come back to the conversation, uh, metaphor, right, as we are uh, engaged in a conversation with the digital products that we use, um, the, the product has a, a responsibility to kind of say, here's what's going to come. And then once we take an action based on what we've seen or heard, the setting of expectations, uh, uh, fulfilling that promise, right? So in some ways, it's... Um, uh, I think the reason why this is in uh, engage is because um, there's sort of this, you know, every interaction comes with this little 
tiny, tiny bit of anxiety, right? Am I going to get what I'm supposed to get when I click on this thing? Um, or when I submit this information? Uh, oh, yeah, I completed the upgrade path. And this is exactly what I expected to, uh, to happen. Um, uh, and so it met my expectations, right? It sort of eased my uh, anxiety. So it's really, and by easing the anxiety, by preserving the trust in a sense. I feel like uh, the reason why this is in engage is because that keeps me invested as a user in the experience. But this is me talking about the lens. Why aren't you talking about yeah. the lens? I, I think the, the, the pivotal word, a pivotal word in what you said there was promise. That's that's absolutely how I certainly think about it and how I talk about it with stakeholders. You know, our interfaces and these the language we, we use uh, sets up promises and we wanna make sure we keep our promises in that upgrade flow I was talking about before, but a little less articulately than I would have liked. Um, it's it's exactly about like what are, what are we promising and not just engagement, but also disengagement. Because if we put in um, the language too far upstream of when we mean to, that signals that this is what's going to happen. Somebody might think, oh, no, I don't want to do that yet. Um, or um, I've, I've got the wrong expectation now. When I click this, a thing is going to happen. But that's not what we mean. It's not going to happen yet. Um, that when does the operation actually start is a much more pervasive problem than I think a lot of uh, folks give it give it credit for. Right. There's this um, there's this notion that uh, in terms of expectations, the kind of expectation that you're talking about is how much am I committing to at this point? Right. And as a user, yeah. how much am I what kind of commitment am I making? All I want to do is learn about this insurance plan. I don't want to buy this insurance plan. Right. Yeah. Bingo. Bingo. And so for me, this lens is also very much about it's about the bigger picture. Um, it's about being able to step back from whatever that particular thing is you're designing and, and getting a, a sense of, you know, first of all, what are people again bringing to this moment, but then also, um, you know, what, what are, what are they, oh, shoot, I lost my train of thought. What, right. what are they, what, what are they expecting? Right. So, um, uh, when we talk about expectations, sometimes the simplest example in IA is just, using the same words right uh on the link and then the resulting page when i click on a link i should see that as the page title in a sense right so it's like i clicked on you know this uh the name of this product and that's the product uh that i see uh when i look at the product page and i see right so it's this very simple you know it's sort of the lowest level of promise uh, that we can make. When you click on this link, I'm going to show you the thing that you clicked on. But I'm wondering if you can think of any other examples um, of uh, promises or commitments that we make, any other ways besides a consistency of language in which we fulfill those promises, in which we meet those expectations that we have, that we have set. Mm -hmm. I think first of all about how arrangement and space are also an information architecture material that can play a huge uh, part in the, the promises we are implicitly making, um, how things are, you know, uh, close to each other or far from each other, and you know, what that says about the relationship between them. And um, that sets 
uh, a prom its own kind of promise about what to expect of how those things how those relationships are going to play out over time as you interact with the system um, that's one An another that um, comes to mind is you know thinking about ux writing you know we it is often a signal of something gone a little bit awry when we feel like we have to, you know, there's just a ton of text in an interface. Um, you know, that, you know, old, old joke about, uh, you know, a, U, a UI being like, you know, a joke, right? If you have to explain it, it might not be as good as you think it is. And so, um, you know, in terms of promises, there's also this kind of implicit promise I'm thinking about, about when we, allow those um, bad jokes to run amok. You know, we're maybe making promises we don't realize about the experience you're gonna come and have with us and about, um, you know, who we are, what this product can do for you. And maybe that's a little less promises, but still expectations. Um, I, I think that the, the, the volume and the quality of the information we offer when we offer it also uh, influences that uh, promise space. Yeah, this gets me thinking too about um, uh, as you're talking about that, um, uh, and I was just talking uh, to Jorge about this yesterday. That uh, when we come to information spaces, maybe this is what you're alluding to, that we have certain expectations of the kinds of information that we're going to get, and even just arriving at a marketing website and not seeing certain information, the absence of certain information. Um, uh, means we're not meeting um, uh, their the user's expectations by by the user arriving at our site that um, say is you know uh, selling health insurance and not really being able to understand well what plans are available and how much is this going to cost me right some basic tasks and not putting those front and center for the user we've already not met their expectations about the kinds of things that they're going to find here uh, just by virtue of designing this information space, which gets me back to something that you said really uh, earlier, which I really, really liked, which is uh, the organizations that you work for, um, that we all work for. I think this is not just a problem that Jeremy keeps stumbling over, but something that we all find is that organizations have significant conceptual uh, concept model problems with their audience, right? Everyone every organization has a different concept model than what their audience does uh, about it. And it's in reconciling those that I think we do a better job of setting an understanding and meeting their expectations. Does that resonate with you? you... Yes. Yes, it does. Okay. Any further thoughts? Any further thoughts. Um... No, you got my brain going on on back on on the other thing we were talking about. But you know, when it comes to um, that concept model work, I just think it can't be, it, it cannot be overvalued, right. right? It's it's I think, and and it's also the some of the you know to go back to your thing about process. It's also the hardest thing to get into with process. And one of the prompts you have on meeting expectations is um, how can you test user expectations? And uh, that is something that I have, you know, certainly tried and, and waded into and I've had some success with and I think some struggles with about the, the research side of it and how do you get to know really what someone's mental model is and how do you know if you're aligning with it or not? Uh, that and, and especially when you get to like the, the crux of, you know, understanding with a capital U, like that is some of the hardest 
you know, IA work and, and research as it relates to IA to do? So let's, let's talk about doing the hard work. And I think one of the things that we're seeing, that I'm seeing is a lot of designers coming in uh, to the industry now or in the last few years, just don't have the same um, grasp of information architecture um, that, uh, 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 that, you know, designers who have been around for a while uh, have. I think we were afforded a lot more space uh, to explore these ideas. Um, and as you say, the emphasis on modularity and speed uh, in organizations these days means that there's uh, less of an emphasis, less of an interest in information architecture. What uh, advice or uh, coaching might you give a newer designer um, to help them either apply this lens, you know, look through this lens, or just doing IA in general? What, what's your... Uh, go-to advice, your best advice for someone who's, you know, really interested in user experience, doing a lot of great uh, UI work, uh, but needs to think more deeply about the underlying conceptual models. I would encourage that person first to develop their eye for information architecture problems. Uh, going, going way back, um, I think I said something about even identifying IA you know, problems and issues to begin with. I think that, you know, the way, I mean, it's, it, it is truly a lens. It's a mindset, you know, that, that, that we apply and that we bring to the teams we work with. And it takes practice to see. <laughs> it takes um, practice over time to uh, see these issues, but they are the kind of thing that once you see them, you can't unsee them. And for, for I think for better, uh, you know, although maybe arguably for, arguably for better or worse. And the world is filled with, you know, examples that uh, represent, I mean, a daily, even sometimes by the minute opportunity to learn and practice developing that, um, that I. And it's not just in our digital spaces, although that is clearly and obviously true, but also out in the physical and built world, you know, so I might be encouraging someone, you know, to pay attention and observe, you know, the next time you are out at the supermarket, or out on the highway, you know, or you're, um, you know, uh, I was going to say transit, you know, feels a little, there's a little less traveling nowadays, you know, because of the world, but, you know, that's a, a terrific uh, example, you know, being trying to get from point A to point B, and um, all the different ways that our world does or doesn't meet our expectations and what happens when there's that gap or that failure of expectations. So that's, that's uh, advice I would give. That's great. Jeremy, we will leave it there. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Dan. Uh, this was terrific.